job. Uh, we are reading through the Gospel of Luke, going through uh, the whole thing, taking about a year and a half to do it. Um, and over the summer, we're doing some of the stories that we might have done in the evening service that would work well in the morning as well. And we've got one of Jesus's stories today, the parable of the rich fool. So before I read it, let's pray that God will speak to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you still speak today. And we pray, come by your Holy Spirit. And as we read the story in the Bible, as we think about what it means, will you speak to us and give us grace not to be foolish, but to trust you in every way. And we ask it all in your name. Amen. So this is Luke chapter 12, reading from verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, says Jesus, with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a pretty punchy parable. Jesus told many punchy parables, but this one is absolutely shocking. And blunt. You don't often have Jesus calling people fools as bluntly as that. So I want us to think this morning about what was so foolish. Because our society around would say that guy had got it, it done it right. Our society would disagree with Jesus entirely. To put it in modern context, here's someone who's worked hard, they've made lots of money, they're retiring early. They've moved to a nice big house. They bought other houses to live off the rents. They're throwing a party for their friends to celebrate how well they've done. Uh, just before the friends arrived, they're on the veranda by the swimming pool, poured a nice drink, saying, lucky bloke, haven't we done well? And before the guests arrive, there's a searing pain in the heart, and he dies of a heart attack before he gets to hospital. And Jesus says, what a fool. What was the point of all of that? It's really punchy. Now, uh, when our children were young, a series of stories Jesus told was brought out by Nick Butterworth and Mick Intpen. This one has almost fallen apart because it got used so much. This is the story of the rich farmer. Uh, how many of you growing up, some of you in your 20s or 30s grew up with stories like this? Who can remember these? There we are. So a few of you. Uh, some of you as parents read these. They're still brilliant. They're the same illustrator as Percy the Park Keeper, and it's that generation. Anyway, I'm going to read to you the story of the rich farmer, and I know you can't see the book here, so the pictures are up on the screen. Here is a, a version of the story. Here is a farmer who's very rich. 
The farmer is rich because his soil is rich and his corn grows faster than anyone else's and higher than anyone else's. And at harvest time, he has much more of it than anyone else. Lucky man. This year, he has so much corn that his old barn can't hold it all. It's bursting at the seams. No problem, says the farmer. I'll pull it down and build a bigger one. Then next year, I'll be rich enough to take life easy. So he builds a bigger barn. But when harvest comes around, the new barn is not big enough. The greedy farmer's planted more corn than before and carrots too. No problem, says the farmer. I'll build an even bigger, better barn. Then next year, I'll be richer still, and then I can really enjoy myself. So he builds a bigger, better barn. But at harvest time, even the bigger, better barn is not big enough. Again, the farmer's planted too much corn, too many carrots, and a few cabbages as well. This time, the farmer says to himself, I will build the biggest, grandest barn the world has ever seen, and then I'll be so rich I need never work again. The barn he builds reaches up to the sky. When it's finished, the farmer sighs a great big sigh. Tomorrow, I'll gather in the harvest, and then at last I'll begin to enjoy myself. I know I'll have a party. But that very night, he dies in his sleep, just like that. The birds eat his corn, the rabbits dig up his carrots, and his cabbages go to seed. The big barn stands empty, and the rich farmer never does get to enjoy his money. Poor man. Jesus said, how silly it is for a man to spend his whole life storing up riches for himself. To God, he's really a poor man. Comes with such a punch. And just the stories of Jesus often have a bite. But this one, I think, has more than many of them. And it's shocking to me, just reading it aloud. I preached on this at the 8 o'clock this morning as well. Just reading it aloud when Jesus says, uh, in verse 20, God says to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Now, just have a chat among yourselves parents with children or neighbours with each other or friends. Why do you think he was foolish? Why does Jesus call him a fool? What did he get wrong? Just chat among yourselves. What did he get wrong? Why was he so foolish? Okay, some of you could go on a long time. Some of you are willing me to butt in so you don't have to talk, talk anymore. I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to tell you why I think he was foolish. If you've come up with the same reasons, tell me afterwards. If you come up with better reasons, you can tell me that afterwards as well. Because not, there's nothing wrong with money. Jesus is quite clear that money is neutral and the, the Bible is, the problem is loving it. Um, you can do lots of good things with money. And, uh, and Jesus talked about it a lot. So I've got two reasons I think he was foolish. There are probably lots more. 
And the first one, I think, is because he lived like God wasn't there. He just lived like it's all about me and what I've got. And he, he lived as if God simply wasn't there. Now, I meet lots of people, and you will all know lots of people who live like God's not there. Some of them even say they believe in God, but they live their life like he's not there. Their values are all the values of the world around. More, better, me. But God is there. And so it's really foolish to build your life as if he's not. The psalm says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, some people say to me, well, if God's there, where is he? I've been looking for him all my life. And when someone says that to me, I say, well, you haven't been looking very hard, have you? Because he's come in Jesus and said, here I am. What do you make of Jesus? God is not hiding. Uh, some of you have heard me preach a few times will have heard this story. I haven't told it for a while. So someone, have you ever played hide-and-seek with a toddler? I remember playing hide-and-seek. It was my Rachel had the favorite version of it when she was two, nearly three. And you have to be, when you're working with Rachel, you need to be very clear about what the rules are. So Rachel would say, Daddy, can we play hide-and-seek? I'd say, yes, darling. Tell me the rules. She'd say, you're going to close your eyes and count to 10, and then I'm going to go and hide in the bathroom, and you have to try and find me. <laughs> so it's so important to get the rules straight. I'd say, let me get this straight. You're going to go and hide in the bathroom, I'm going to count to 10, and then I'm going to try and find you. She says, yes. And uh, so I close my eyes, and I go, one, two, three, four, and I hear footsteps running up the stairs. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, coming to find you. And very loudly, I would say, I wonder if Rachel is in the kitchen. And I'd hear a little giggle from upstairs. I wonder if Rachel's in the dining room. Little giggle from upstairs. I wonder if Rachel's in Daddy's study. Bigger giggle from upstairs. Where is she? I wonder if Rachel's upstairs. And I start climbing the stairs. Giggle from upstairs. I wonder if Rachel's in mummy and daddy's bedroom. Peals of laughter from the bathroom. <laughs> I wonder if Rachel's in Thomas's room. Even louder laughter from the bathroom. I wonder if Rachel's in the bathroom and the door flings open and she comes and gives me a big hug. <laughs> Playing hide and seek with toddlers is brilliant. The point is, she wasn't really trying to hide. She wanted to be found. And that is the same with God. He has come in Jesus and said, here I am. And to anybody who says they're looking for God, ask them what they make of Jesus. It's really foolish to live life when there is no God, when he's come to this world to show us what he's like, and he's died on the cross so he can be forgiven and risen again so we can know him. So that's the first reason I think this man is foolish. He lives as if God isn't there. Nothing wrong with working hard, nothing wrong with doing well, the problem is doing it as if God's not there. The second thing I think was really foolish, and you may have got better reasons, but he lived as if this life was all there was. He lived as, lived as if there was no afterlife, as if there's no judgment, as if it's just getting the most toys you can in this life. But this life is not all there is. Jesus made it very clear that we are made for eternity. He rose again to show us that death is not the end. 
Uh, some years ago, I jotted this down from a tombstone in Beedale, uh, up in Yorkshire. If we can put this slide up. This is on someone's tombstone. Remember, friend, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be, so be prepared to follow me. You might think quite good advice. Live like this life is not all there is. But someone had put in graffiti underneath these words. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> so, the point is, it's not just that this life is the only thing. There's two destinations. And if we're wise in this life, we will live su life such that God is there and that one day we will give account of ourselves to God. Now, the glory of being Christians is we know that we're forgiven, but we still give account of our life to God. And when we do that, I expect there'll be some things we're really embarrassed about. Think, goodness me, I put a lot of energy into things that didn't matter. And there'll be other things where God tells us, let me show you what I did with your life and things you've said and how you help people. And we'll be amazed how much good he's done. But back to this story, Jesus says he's so foolish just to gather up stuff as if God doesn't exist and as if this life is all there is. And here's the last thing Jesus said. Can we put up verse 21 again, the last verse, please, Martin, of our story? Jesus said, here's the punchline. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So just have a quick chat among yourselves again, again with whoever you were talking to earlier. What do you think it means to be rich towards God? What do you think Jesus is getting at? He's clearly not talking about bigger barns. Quick chat, what does rich towards God look like? Any ideas? Fewer ideas this time. tough this isn't it you come to an all-age service you expect to sit and listen and you have to do the work let me just let me just interrupt you again do continue these conversations afterwards God is looking for relationship with us so being rich towards God has to be looking to include trusting him loving him serving him that means trusting him with our time it means trusting him with our money um, I always encourage parents give your children pocket money once they get to school um, children this could be a good day for you because if you have parents haven't started giving you pocket money you'll be going home and saying vicar says we should have it um, my dad gave me pocket money in multiples of 10 so I could learn what a tenth was really easy and give that to the Lord through the church so I learned to give 10 percent before I had much money, which meant it easier to do it when I had a little bit more money. Um, the glory of being a vicar is I'll never have much money, but it's a, a civil and I can count to 10 and do that. Um, parents, do te give your children money to teach them to trust God with it. Uh, there are other great things you can do with it. It teaches them that it runs out. That's a really good lesson to learn at this age before uh, some adults haven't learned that and keep buying things when they haven't got money. It doesn't that end well. 
It's also a really good discipline tool because you can withhold pocket money. So anyway, there's lots of good reasons to do it. Teaching them how to handle it and how to be rich towards God. The life is not just about money. It's about what we do with it, how we give it, how we use it. It's about praying and serving, but all those need other sermons, and this is quite long enough. So I'm going to invite the all-age band to come back. With an extra member, we've got Mark and Pam have joined us recently as part of the church, and Mark's rather good on the organ. So we're going to have an organ hymn, and we're going to sing the hymn written by the first organist of this church, Francis Ridley Havergal, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated Lord to Thee. She used to live at number... 42 Binswood Avenue, and there's a plaque outside, a blue plaque, actually, which I unveiled some years ago. I made a right mess of it with, at the time, but anyway, it's, the plaque is there, you can see it. Francis Ridley Havergal wrote this famous hymn to a tune of Mozart's from when he was little, and it says to God, take my life, take my hands, take my feet, take my heart, take my love, take my silver and my gold. It's about offering all we have to be used for God in his service. If you can sing this and mean it, that is a life rich towards God. And actually working out what this means more is uh, it's what our life is about. If you're new to all this, uh, we'd really commend you to do our Alpha course in the autumn. Suzanne mentioned it earlier. That's a, a really great way we have of helping people understand what all this is about. Um, if you've never sorted out your own approach to money and giving on the welcome desk, they can point you to how you can do giving through this church, and we encourage everybody to do that as part of our discipleship. Uh, but I, the band are in place. I shall stop whittering. Let's stand. I'm going to pray a prayer, and then we'll carry on praying in song. So, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you showed us what a life is rich towards God a life of love and service and generosity and giving, and that in giving we receive so much more than we ever do if we hoard for ourselves. We pray for grace by your Holy Spirit that we would live our lives rich towards you. May the children and young people in this church grow up knowing what that means. For all of us as adults, give us grace not to revert to the standards of the world, but to live lives rich towards you. And we pray as we sing this hymn that you would help us to live it out with our lives better and better with every year that goes by. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.